welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I hope that you are safe and healthy and home. This has been such a time for all of us. I mean, I know no one listening to the show right now in their wildest dreams would ever have believed this would happen, but it has happened. Uh, And first, you know, as I say on all the shows, my sympathy goes out to everyone that has lost someone to the coronavirus. Uh, You know, I, I just can't imagine what you're going through and my my heart and my soul goes with you I mean it's just so terrible and um, just know that when you have a disability no matter where you are in the world you are a brother or sister of all of us living with disabilities like you all know that I live with epilepsy and I'm hard of hearing Uh, but I always have said A seizure anywhere in the world is a seizure. So I'm saying that because I know we have listeners in 17 different countries. And I am going to do everything in my power to get the news to you that will help you. We care about you. You know, we are all in this together. And I know how terrible it has been in uh China and different parts of the world, and we are all thinking of you. You can count on us that we know that we are all in this together. And, you know, I have to say a special hello to Gang Yang, my friend with the embassy in South Korea, and Richard Roberts. He was in South Korea. Now he's in Japan and Okinawa. Uh, He is also a diplomat, and I met both of them through the State Department, which is who they're with, on my trips when I spoke in the countries. And they are true, not only friends, but disability advocates. So I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of you two all the time. Special shout out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, I know that you are hanging in there. And, you know, you you got to take care of yourself, Yoshiko, because you are absolutely a treasure to all of us. I want to thank Highmark. Oh my goodness, boy, talk about being a leader right now, you know, owning Allegheny General Hospital and the Allegheny Health Network and David Holmberg and Cindy Hunderfine. You know, we just thank you for everything you're doing to save lives uh, right here in Pittsburgh. And, you know, I think so highly of them. They have sponsored this show for four years. Four years they've been the lead sponsor. And I also want to thank new sponsors this year. First, another year-long sponsor is Peoples. You know, before Morgan O'Brien left Peoples, he just wanted to make sure that the commitment remained, you know, to this radio show and they're a new sponsor. Thank you, Peoples. Wells Fargo, another new sponsor. Um, is is going to be, you know, a sponsor for several quarters, and we really appreciate that, and the employment options. It's amazing we're getting all these sponsors, and I'm so thankful and appreciative of that. But as you probably noticed since March, I have been having these 
I call them emergency COVID shows for people with disabilities. And that is, where are you going to go if you have a disability? Really, where can you go where there's one source? Not just going to epilepsy like me, Epilepsy Association, because I have epilepsy or, you know, I'm on the national board of the Bazelon Center on Mental Health Policy. But where can you go that you just have this one source? And that's what we're doing with Voice America on Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. That's what I'm doing. Uh, and I know if you've been following or you subscribe to the show, which you can subscribe to this show on Apple or Spotify, I know that you have heard our wonderful, excellent weekly on the half hour news anchor, Perry Jude Radisick, who I so appreciate that she gives us news of what's going on. You know, just as um, Kelly Buckland from Nichols said, all of that is so important to everyone with disabilities in this country. And I am so thrilled to have Perry Jude Radisick as my guest for the entire show today. You are just such a great disability rights leader. Perry Jude, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Joyce. Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yeah, and everyone listening, they're they're in a they recognize your voice. <laughs> <laughs> that voice is very recognizable if you follow this radio show. Uh, Perry Jude Radisick is the CEO of Disability Rights Pennsylvania, which I'm very privileged to also serve on the board. And, of course, we have listeners around the world. So, first, how about if you tell everyone what you do at Disability Rights PA and what what your mission is there so they'll understand a little bit about where you're coming from. Absolutely. And I I really do hope, Joyce, that through uh, the work we're going to do on today's show, that your listeners, not just across the country but around the world, uh, may be able to duplicate some of the things we're doing here in Pennsylvania, and maybe it'll be helpful. So uh, what I get to do uh, is work with nearly 50 advocates, attorneys, and administrative support who help us carry out our mission, and that is to protect and advocate for the rights of people with disabilities so that uh, we can live the lives we choose free from abuse, neglect, discrimination, and segregation. So what really does all of that mean? Well, we are one of 57 organizations across the country that have been authorized under federal statute. So Congress approves of us under about eight federal statutes, and what we do under those statutes We provide legal advocacy, information and referral, public policy advocacy, and that means not just at the state and federal level, but eh, lots of regulations come out. So we do lots of regulatory activity. We meet with lots of administration officials. We train people on their legal rights. We conduct outreach for all of our program services. And we provide a lot of self-advocacy information on all of these complaint processes that have been set up under all of the federal civil rights. 
so that individuals with disabilities can be their own best advocate, too. Now, you can find out all about all of this along with all of our most recent fact sheets related to legal rights and COVID-19, which we'll be talking about, at our website at disabilityrightspa.org. Now, what I get to do specifically is work with our board of directors, like Joyce, help coordinate those meetings. I get to meet with administration officials. I get, get to meet with federal officials. I get to help uh, on those regulatory guidelines and uh, really help lead the organization. So those are the kinds of things I get to do, Joyce, during the day. Yeah, well, you do a lot, and I want to add, in addition to that, in case you didn't know what I meant, because, of course, we have new listeners in in the United States and around the world, every half hour on my show, on the half hour, Perry Jude calls in, the, the news break is called Advocacy Matters, and Perry Jude gives us an update on something happened nationally or NPA, wherever, news that impacts people with disabilities, sometimes urgent news, important news. And so she is on every show. Advocacy Matters, news break at 2.30, because um, the show's 2 to 3 Eastern time. But just know on the half hour, Perry comes on and gives us this uh, very valuable information, which is what I want to talk about right now, uh, Perry Jude. With this COVID-19 crisis, oh my goodness, like it impacts people with disabilities in so many ways, so many ways, and there's so many frightening ways. But I wanted to talk about uh, Pennsylvania Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, I did not know you made me aware um, that they signed on to a letter with 97 other agencies across the United States. And they asked for a waiver of the 15% set-aside funds for youth in transition. Now, this letter went to the Secretary of Education, uh, Betsy DeVos. So I want to know two things. Do you know the status, you know, of what has happened since then? And what impact or what would this mean to people with disabilities? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing this up, Joyce. Uh, this is concerning uh, about this letter because the disability community found out about this at a meeting last week. There's a group called the Disability Integration Task Force in Pennsylvania, and really, we're grateful for the meeting. It's thanks to Governor Wolf. You know, there's a, a meeting that happens a couple times a week on COVID-19, and state agencies report out to the disability community, and I think this is great. Uh, but it was during this meeting that uh, during a labor and industry report out, we find out that OVR has sent this letter uh, along with 97 other OVR agencies. Uh, we're not able to get our hands on the letter. So I don't know the full extent of all that was shared with Secretary DeVos at the federal level. I've asked OVR for a copy of that letter, and I don't have a response yet. We're certainly trying to get it at the federal level as well. And uh, so that's the status. One, I can't determine all that's in that letter. That's number one. And I still don't have a copy of it yet uh, to, to ascertain all that's being requested. Uh, and number two, I think that before 
the waiver can be granted, it has to go to Congress under one of the stimulus packages that said any waiver that goes to the Secretary of Education then has to be, uh, then has to go to Congress for approval. Uh, so I, I think that is caught up in, in the education waivers that then have to go on to Congress. So I still think there's another barrier here for the waiver to be approved. Uh, and, and I think there's opportunities for us to intervene, which we'll do, and try to get the community involved. So then what does this mean for people with disabilities? Well, uh, the waiver, so, so the, the 15% set aside, if we go back to WIOA, had originally wanted 15% of the OVR funds to be set aside for youth in transition. That means OVR goes in and spends money and time on assisting students to have more opportunities uh, so that they don't go and graduate first into sheltered settings. So that means practicing or improving workplace skills, considering career interests, getting real work experience, assisting students to make transition from high school to college, and considering competitive and integrated employment first. Now, we know that at this time, a lot of employers are closed, but some aren't. We also know that, and we'll get into what's happening in special education, the governor has closed schools, but schools are still supposed to be implementing a free and appropriate public education for students, and IEPs are still in place. So what's concerning here is that OVR told counselors that they're still supposed to be working remotely and able to assist the community, and then on the other hand, uh, they're asking for a waiver of this 15% when services could still be offered to students, especially students who are trying to transition to college or wanting information on career interests. And now Pennsylvania OVR is saying that uh, they're going to be left unserved in this pandemic. So we're a little confused by this. We'd certainly like more information about this and why they made this decision. And uh, we would like an opportunity to have intervened uh, on this, and we weren't given the opportunity. So everyone is working hard to try to figure out a new way of doing business, that's for sure, in this pandemic. But we are uh, concerned. And, uh, and so we're concerned about how quickly through this pandemic that they ask for a waiver to the community first. So there's a lot of work here to be done, Joyce. I have a couple questions, Perry Jude, that I don't think I was clear about. This 15% waiver, did OVR decide to do that, or are you saying the federal government, who decided to do that? It appears that 97 OVR agencies somehow had a conversation or someone originated a letter and sent it around to OVR agencies, and the Pennsylvania director, Shannon Austin, determined it was wise to sign on to the letter. Now, again, she did this without consulting uh, the community about that, and so it could be maybe a misunderstanding about what she's able to accomplish with those funds given... Uh, 
uh, given the pandemic, because I know her counselors are working and they're serving the community. And I think students who are wanting to transition to college, wanting information on career interests and other services could be served with those funds. So maybe it's a miscommunication. Maybe she hadn't really thought this through completely, but those funds could be could be used at this moment. And uh, that, well, you know, I mean, youth with disabilities, that is so important. That is critical. And, you know, I wanted to tell you uh, one other thing about this. I've had parents who have been very concerned about the education that their child with an IEP is having at home, not being the same as before. You know, I mean, yeah. what what can people, parents do about that? What what can they do? Sure. So here's what we know: uh, Governor Wolf had closed schools for the remainder of the year, but there is a law that requires school districts in Pennsylvania to make a good faith effort to offer some continuity of education for all students. So Disability Rights Pennsylvania put out a fact sheet on school closures for individuals with disabilities and their family members. So again, if you go to our website at disabilityrightspa.org, click on our COVID-19 resources and look for special education, it's the first fact sheet that comes up under special education. And there you'll find a summary of what the guidance is from the Bureau of Special Education here in Pennsylvania to school districts telling them what their obligations are to students with disabilities. So there are obligations uh, during this uh, school closure period, uh, and so it's important for parents to read that and understand what uh, students' rights are so they can be their child's best advocate. So, I have a little bit of information for parents now. Even through the school closures, districts must work to ensure students with disabilities still continue to receive what we know as a free and appropriate public education, as appropriate and reasonable for each student's circumstance. So, again, it's individualized. It can't be a cookie cutter. School districts may still hold an IEP as necessary or a parent can request an IEP meeting. School districts are required to issue a written notice to parents documenting the plan to ensure students receive that free and appropriate public education, and it has to be a written notice. So parents should just not agree to any reductions or changes in service without consulting someone. And, of course, we're always open to uh, educate parents about what's in that written notice. So call us at 800-692-7443 in order to get the right information before you sign off on any of these written notices or any of these waivers to your child's education. So it's important. So that's what's happening, Joyce. There were closures, but education can continue, and we're concerned that parents may be waiving rights. 
So it's important to get information either from the advocate that you've been working with already from another disability organization, from the lawyer that you've been working with, or call Disability Rights Pennsylvania so we can give you the right information. Oh, see, that's what I mean. That's the type of information that parents need to know. I'm really glad you talked about that. And if you're listening right now and you're saying, oh, no, I didn't get to write that number down fast enough, that's okay because this show is on demand, meaning you can go back and listen to the show. Actually, you can subscribe to this show on Spotify or Apple or you can go to voiceamerica.com and hear the old shows there, but it's probably easiest for you to just subscribe to the show, but you will be able to hear this show again and share it with anyone that you think needs to hear it, because right now in Perry Jude, I think you know what I mean. People are just in a state of confusion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just think about it, Joyce, right? And I, and I know you do. Parents are overwhelmed. People with disabilities are overwhelmed. They're just busy trying to make sure they can get to the grocery store or have their needs met, making sure they get their prescriptions on time. Uh, and now a parent may be able to work from home if we're lucky enough, right, to be able to work from home and then be able to make sure that the uh, their online learning, because there is online learning still happening from school districts, make sure their kids are set up to learn online and, and get their uh, plans met, and then manage all of that from home. It is absolutely overwhelming. Yes, it is. Well, make sure you go to disabilityrightspa.org. Make sure you go, uh, if you're here in Pennsylvania, and get that information. And if you're in another state, you know, there are uh, PNAs, protection and advocacy groups, all across the country. In other words, there's uh, Disability Rights California, Disability Rights uh, Massachusetts. Every state, just go. And how do they look that? What's the easiest way to find out that information, Perry Jude? Absolutely. Our national office has a website, uh, their homepage. You can, you can click on the country and just click on the state and be able to locate your protection and advocacy uh, in your area. And that is www.ndrn.org. And that would be the National Disability Rights Network. Dot O-R-G. So ndrn.org, and you can find us anywhere in the U.S. territories, the Navajo Nation, and uh, across this country. Oh, that's great. Yeah, make sure you do that if you're in another state and you're wondering, how can I find this out? So I uh, thank you for explaining that. Well, Perry Jude, probably one of the most uh, controversial topics and uh, fear in this country is about the health care disparities that can happen. What happens when uh, one person goes in, needs, you know, you have two people, uh, they both need the ventilator. Maybe one is this 40-year-old, uh, you know, white young man. Uh, maybe the other is a 60-year-old person with a disability. You know, what's going to happen? What happens when people with disabilities are in these very distressing situations uh, in the country? And I, I think you did something about this in Pennsylvania. So I thought you could give our listeners 
an update on, okay, here's what's happening in Pennsylvania when it comes to the fear of not receiving the same health care that someone without a disability would receive. Absolutely. And and the fear is real and it was justified. And, I, and I'll tell you why, uh, Joyce. By mid-March, as this pandemic was unfolding across the country, and certainly here in Pennsylvania, there was a growing concern in the disability community and here in Pennsylvania that hospitals would be overrun. There would be a shortage of prescription drugs, a shortage of hospital beds, and of course, a shortage of ventilators. Also a concern over who would be making a decision about who would get what and who and how it would be decided who would have what. We know there still are significant stereotypes and biases against our community that form the basis of a lot of guidances, right? Hospital guidances in the medical profession about people with disabilities. And we worried that people would be, that people with disabilities would be at the back of the line for COVID-19 treatment. So we started to look around the country in our network, and we saw that some states started to issue rationing guidelines for COVID-19 treatment that on its face was discriminatory. I'll give you an example. In Alabama, if you had a disability, you were not even in the mix for care for treatment for COVID-19. So on its face, Alabama's initial guidance they released was discriminatory. Now, since then, the Office of Civil Rights and disability organizations like the PNA in Alabama got involved, and they have changed their guidance. So in Pennsylvania, Disability Rights Pennsylvania sent a letter, and 36 other disability organizations signed on with us urging the governor not to issue these kinds of standards. Do not issue. We asked Governor Wood, do not issue discriminatory standards of care. We didn't hear back. Then we saw an article in the New York Times that had leaked a draft standard of care. We filed a complaint based on that leaked standard of care. Finally, we received a copy of the real standard of care and grew even more concerned because they were worse than what was leaked in the New York Times. We filed an amended complaint with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights. And really, the standards were based on predictions about survivability, including life years. And I believe at the time it was 10 years. If they didn't think you could survive 10 years and you had a co-occurring condition like disability or cancer, you probably were going to be at the back of the bus for care. Now, since we got involved and the Office of Civil Rights got involved, things got better. And the new guidance issued by Secretary Levine and Governor Wolf were much improved. They were. However, here's what the Office of Civil Rights said from the federal level about the standards. 
The standards themselves are not discriminatory on their face. But the feds are open to receiving complaints if the standards are implemented in a discriminatory way. So essentially, they remove any comorbidity. So you come in with a disability or a, a co-occurring condition, you're not going to be judged based on your disability. That's removed. What they have now is a five-year life expectancy. So they're going to judge you on life expectancy, period. Everyone will. Well, we, well, wait, we wait, wait, wait. A five, we, what do you mean? A five-year life expectancy. What do you mean? They're going to assign you points for that. Everybody will who walks in the door. Everybody. You get points. Now, we wish it could be better, right? Because people can beat the odds. People can, you know, so it's based on a life expectancy. We had wished it was one year, but we couldn't get one year. We could get five years. So we made some progress, but clearly it's not enough. But if it's doled out in a way that is discriminatory, we're looking for people to make complaints about that. The Office of Civil Rights at the federal level is willing to take complaints, and so are we. That makes me so nervous. I know. Like across the country, you know, who is going to decide where you stand when you go in. Well, this is, this is what was negotiated in Pennsylvania. So every state might be different, but this is Pennsylvania. Now, we have the guidelines posted. We have a fact sheet that it better explains the guidelines on our website. If you go to disabilityrightspa.org, go to our COVID-19 page, click on medical rationing. There's a whole fact sheet. And you can read the entire, I think the, the whole thing, the whole the guidelines might be 38 pages long. You can read them themselves. But I think it really just boils down to life expectancy of five years. But who could tell life expectancy? This is what I'm meaning. What if someone goes in with a disability and the per- person thinks something different that is real? Like who does this? A doctor? Who's going to determine this? There- the, the hospitals have a, a triage, a person who is the triage coordinator for care coming into the hospital. It is that person who is going to determine that. Well, you now, can see why people you, are afraid. You, well, if you are on the ground at the hospital and you want to resolve this quickly, there is a patient care coordinator who understands the guidelines that you have to request first. Right? You're on the ground. You want to think about calling civil rights people. You have to talk to the patient care coordinator first. That's first. Okay. So, all right, go ahead. You know, this just really worries me. It does. Well, yeah. that's why I'm so glad to have you on here because, see, here's the word I would use for all of you, okay? Vigilant. You have to be vigilant. You have to remember that disability rights are civil rights. You have to stand up. You've got to stand up. I mean, I know it's so hard. See, it's so hard for people because they're going through this without a family member there. Um, And that is what makes this so difficult. But that's why everyone in the family has to know what's going on. And everyone has to be uh, just really on it when this happens. Don't you agree? 
Oh, absolutely. And we should talk about the hospital no visitation policies next. Well, let's go ahead. Let's go right into that. So the other part, you know, the, the flip side of this is now hospitals and even doctor's offices have imposed no visitation policies. And I think for the most part, right, it makes sense. You don't want a lot of people in a room at the same time exposed, potentially exposing the family members or the family members exposing uh, healthcare personnel or other people in the hospital to COVID-19. But then here you have policies that have to account for an accommodation or a modification to those policies. So if an individual comes into a healthcare setting that requires a direct support care worker, an interpreter, a note taker, hospitals have to permit an accommodation or a modification to their visitor policy so that that individual with a disability has that support person with them. They have to. It's the law. So hospitals and medical offices can say no visitor, no visitor, no visitor, and turn you, try to turn you away at the front door, but they have to make an accommodation or a modification to their no visitor policy. They can't put that roadblock up to a person who requires that's, it, it's just like a service animal, right? If somebody needs a service animal, they can't turn that service animal away. Same thing. They cannot turn a direct support care worker who is there for a person with an intellectual disability or a person who is there who is autistic or an interpreter or a note taker. They have to allow that person there. Or a reader for a person who is blind. Same thing, Joyce. Well, Perry, Judy, from talking to friends of mine across the country who are deaf, that is not happening. You know what I mean? If someone is rushed to the hospital um, and they, you know, have uh, COVID-19, that there have been many people that have told me that, you know, they could get no because of the emergency state and all these people, you know, coming in because, you know, tragic this has been that it got lost in the mix or whatever. And they said, we can't find an interpreter for you. I'm going to tell you how serious that is. Uh, The national... Uh, uh, Association for the Deaf put something out that I put out on my radio show saying have a bag packed at your house just in case. This is like insurance, just in case. In that bag have notepaper, pens, uh, be ready to put your smartphone in there and put any extra chargers you have in there. Go and get that. You can go to Pennsylvania, for example, uh, right now, and you can get the uh, the uh, band that says you're deaf. You know, some type of something that lets everyone know that you're a person who is deaf. Why they're telling people to do this is because they fear if they're rushed into a hospital, such as like, oh my God, what's been happening in New York and you know, California, different states that. They're just afraid that they're going to get lost in the mix, and that has happened. So what do you say about that, or what, what, what should people who are deaf do in reference to that happening? I understand that as a backup plan, and that's not okay, but I understand a backup plan if all else fails. 
But if someone from the deaf community wanted to bring someone with them who could sign for them, and even that's, that's, a, that's another backup plan, because the hospital is originally supposed to provide the community with an interpreter. So that should be the first thing, that the hospital provides the accommodation with an interpreter. Bringing someone is a backup plan, and then having a bag with a note and paper is the third backup plan. And, uh, and so, all, you know, B and, B and C are backup plans, but they should be allowed to have someone come with them to do the hospital's job of providing an interpreter. Well, that's what I mean, though. Why, why, don't they have, why don't they provide interpreters? I guess that, that well, is not the law, or, I mean, why don't they? Oh, it's the law, and we've been asking... All of the disability rights organizations have been asking this question a very long time. And for time to time, right, we do sue uh, the hospitals, hoping that that sends one of those jolts through the system to tell people, you, you've got to get with this. You've got to get with the, with the ADA here. And, and yet they fall back and it happens again. So we do have to continue to be vigilant. If anyone in Pennsylvania faces this issue, please call us uh, so that we can review this with you. And you know what? I'm going to start having you mention that on every, before you go off the air, you know, when you do the news break, because I want people to know. Because everyone's telling me this, you you know, that I'm talking to, you know, just the fact that. NAD and Gallaudet had to put that out, what I'm talking about, about having the bag ready. That's terrible. That's terrible when you think about it. But imagine if you're deaf and you're in the throes of this terrible uh, COVID-19 disease, this virus, and here you are. It's hard. Oh, and here's the other thing, Perry Jude, mask. Imagine if you're deaf. Now, there are masks oh my where, where it has an opening, you know, for the mouth, because, as you know, many people read lips, but there aren't, they're, they're not out there a lot, and people don't have that. So now here you are, you're deaf, you don't have anyone with you, uh, and people are wearing masks. I mean, how terrifying this has to be. So oh, we absolutely. really... Really got to get on this. We've really got to get. Uh, see, you got to speak up. That's the thing. Some people with disabilities have been so beaten down, so you know, so looked upon as second-class citizens that they don't realize. Yes, you need to speak up. You can speak up. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, people are going to listen to us. Uh, okay, so Perry Jude, I do want before the show ends to talk about a couple things. And one is community living, psychiatric hospitals, nursing homes. I mean, starting with nursing homes, this is horrific. I mean, you know, yeah. as um, Marcy Roth is the CEO of the World Institute on Disability, and she said the other day, you know, people don't go to nursing homes just to go there. Something has happened, like they have some type of disability, and now they're in the nursing home. They couldn't take care of themselves. Now they're in the nursing home. And these people with disabilities, it's just dying across the board. Um, and then 
if they don't have rules in place uh, for getting people out of psychiatric institutions or residential housing, same thing. So what's going on here? What's going on in the United States? Well, I mean, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Sorry, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. No, that's okay. Uh, it's just, this is just sad news. Half of all of Pennsylvania's COVID-19 deaths have been in these congregate settings, like nursing homes and personal care homes. And it's just a tragedy. So the tough part, Joyce, is that all congregate settings, uh, like nursing homes, personal care homes, private and public intermediate care facilities, like our state developmental disability centers, right now have these no-visitor policies. So family and friends cannot reach out and visit their loved ones. And someone like, the, like us at the Protection and Advocacy Agency get nervous about that because that means there are no eyes. No, nobody's watching. Nobody's watching what's happening because now even family members aren't being allowed in to see their loved ones. So first I would say it's more important than ever. If you have a loved one in one of these congregate settings, you've got to reach out more by phone or video con- uh, conference to, to check in with your loved one regularly. It just is. Now, what we're doing, disability groups are working hard to stay on top of this crisis in these congregate care settings. We have to know, and we're asking, if congregate settings are prop- prop- properly implementing infection control procedures. That's one. Do they have enough tests available on a regular basis? I know we're asking that question. Have medical care been available to those who are infected? And are they protecting those who are not infected? These are basic questions we're trying to get answers to. So Disability Rights Pennsylvania and other disability organizations like the Centers for Independent Living here in our state are also desperately arguing for more personal protective equipment for group home staff and residents and congregate settings for both staff and residents because we know without PPE, no one is, no one is safe and everyone is at risk of infection. So there's lots of moving parts here. It's, it's really important that management at these settings make sure they still implement infection control, that they sanitize the way they're supposed to sanitize these rooms, and that they have access to PPE, and that they have workers, because a lot of workers are calling in sick, they're getting sick, and they're not showing up, which is compounding the problem. That's what we know so far. Oh, I know, and you know what else? Then you have these... uh personal care assistants that they're ha- yeah they're having a hard time finding them and people with disabilities are having a hard time finding them so that's why I said there is so much going on here there is so much and that's why this is so important that we keep getting the news out um, you know we've got we've just got to keep that keep that going we got to keep that going on uh since we're talking about pennsylvania i did want to ask you i know we're already behind in the budget um how would that impact ovr and human services can you talk to us about that where that's at 
Yeah, real quickly, so many budget analysts put Pennsylvania's budget deficit right now at between 3 and $5 billion. And the longer the pandemic remains uncontrolled, the deeper in debt Pennsylvania will get, possibly reaching as high as 5 to $7 billion. So that's, that's the concern. So how will the legislators balance the budget and how will we be able as advocates to maintain, not increase, but maintain the money for Medicaid waivers, office of vocational rehabilitation, community health choices, and, and special education? All this is on the line. And these are very large deficit numbers, very, very large. Now, what we've been hearing and there are lots of rumors about lots of scenarios, tough scenarios. And so I don't want to throw out what's been speculated uh, that we've been hearing, and because I'd rather have the legislators go out and do that on all the talk shows. Uh, but I want to say this. I don't think it's going to be a normal budget cycle, uh, and I think we should be prepared uh, to see a lot of legislator, uh, legislators offer some drastic changes to our budget. So, one, I would not expect a normal budget cycle for the next year, and one, I would expect some really drastic proposals. Wow. Wow. That's, that is really scary. Yeah. That is really scary. Um I have a request, Perry Jude. You know, all of these things are so involved and there's so much to talk about. Um, I feel like now I'm on MSNBC when I say, would you mind coming back on? No, not at all. Uh, Let us, uh, you know, watch this for a little while longer and come back maybe with more answers to some of these questions. Because what I'm going to suggest is that um, if you are listening to the show... I'm also going to send out on a very large uh, social media campaign, if you have questions, you're a person with a disability in Pennsylvania and you have questions, to send them to me so that I could send them to Perry Jude ahead of time and I could read some of them to her on the air. So, um, I mean, I know there are so many different things, so many different things we're talking about here, but whether it's from the deaf community, uh, whether it's about this budget, uh, you know, whether it's about education, no matter where it is, a parent with a question, let me know. But here we are already to the end of the show. How does this happen so fast? Perry Jude, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Joyce, and thank you to your listeners. Well, our quote today, I know this is uh, intense, but COVID-19 is. The dead cannot cry out for justice. It is the duty of the living to do so for them. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with our disability rights group talking about COVID-19 from PNC. See you then. (music) 
Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 